Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to KP, the build in public guy. KP has been a pillar of the indie hacker community and we talk about how to involve yourself, empower others and eventually build a community around your personal brand and the things that you actually care about. Here's KP. Here's something that I've been wanting to ask you for quite a while because you have done this founder hotline thing, right? That's yeah. been one of your Twitter projects where you're yeah. essentially you're just present and listening and giving advice and having people on to give advice. How did that happen? Because that's such a nice thing. It probably is super draining and it probably takes a lot of energy from the people being asked because you're essentially doing a, a help hotline there. That, that is yeah. such a cool project. Tell me more it about is. it. Th thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm super... Um, happy to hear that it caught your attention and like, this is how you feel about it. Sometimes it feels like it's hard. Cause you know, you like, I feel like I operate with so many people at your level, at my level, like we, we are doing so much on a weekly monthly basis that it's hard to keep up with what's, what's, what's the current focus for, you know, any of us. And it, it feels heartening to, to hear that about fun hotline. Anyways. Um, I mean, it, the idea generally came from, um, finding that I'm getting the same seven to eight questions on my DMs uh, or my email or when I talk about, like when I go on a podcast from the hosts around some um, topics where the knowledge is obvious and the knowledge exists on the internet, but it's, it seems like the application of that knowledge or that insight in a specific customized scenario seems to be uh, the missing part or um, uh, some combination of uh, not having someone believe in you that this is okay, what you're going through is all right. That kind of validation and reaffirmation of that step of the journey of a founder seems to be uh, missing. Um, and the way I knew that was from lots of founder conversations, most of them to come to me and they're asking me the questions that I think they know the answers for. And sometimes I ask them, you really know the answer for this. Why are you asking me this? And so they just want to hear it from my mouth. And I've been in those shoes where, you know, before joining on deck and before, you know, working with some other, you know, bigger sort of, you know, leverage people, I just wanted them to tell me exactly what I already know, but wanted them to confirm how it played out in their life so that I don't feel so alone walking that path. And I think that's one of the greatest um, gifts uh, you can give an up and coming founder. You know, um, you do that all the time with your content, Arvid, is just to tell them, it's okay to stumble and to show your skin, our skin a little bit, because what happens after a while is that people put us on pedestals and there's a lot of hero worship going on out, out there in the world right now, as we know. And I think vulnerability is a very valuable asset um, to exhibit and it's a virtue to practice. So which means you have to show them how you failed, how it sucked for you during a phase. And so I, I saw a lot of this happening and I thought, what if there was a weekly ritual where I practiced this with other founders and held myself accountable to show up and do this? And so I started this founderhotline.com and, you know, it blew up. And, and, and frankly, before, I mean, this is, there's another nugget here, which I wanted to kind of touch on is that I did this for two and a half months and didn't have that much of like a runaway success that I had my, for my other projects. It was fun. I was having a lot of fun with it. I was giving value to the eight to 10 to 20 people we would have a wide swing of attendance. Some, some events we had, Savil Lavinjia show up in one of the guests as one of the guests for Gumroad. Um, and he had, I think there were 450 people live listening. But then there were some episodes where it was eight people and me. 
there were like four people and me. And I was so proud of the fact that I didn't care for those individual milestones. I just kept going. And three months later, freaking Gary V showed up as one of the guests and it broke our records. We had 25,000 listeners, but nobody could have told me, I couldn't have even predicted that three months later we would have Gary V. You know, so I think uh, the, the biggest takeaway for me was that figure out what you want to do and where you feel like it's a service to somebody else and just do it. And great things will happen in the long run. Yeah, and particularly when you focus not just on people's like clear, visible success, right? But also yeah. the struggle beneath it, which is, yes. that's something, I mean, in the world where only a few people have success and most people struggle, it's not the success that people can resonate with. It's the struggle. Right? It's quite obvious that the struggle is something yeah. people can relate to much more than these kind of <laughs> moments of, uh, I always call this the highlight reel, right? Like it, nobody wants to see everybody's highlight reel. They want to see like everybody's real reel. That the thing that they, they actually go through, which is something that you've been doing stellarly. I, I think the Founder Hotline is great. You're working in the communities you're in. You're, you're work like with, the, and I want to talk about all of this today. Like, you know, your no-code <laughs> work and you, you work in just empowering founders and you're building public stuff. But I just, I find it very exciting because it's also obviously the thing that I do a lot and that I care a lot about. So I can very much resonate, not just with what you do, but also why you do it. And I feel this focus on founder, fundamental health, on um, leveling the playing field, like on, on normalizing struggle and not normalizing hustle. Like there's a there's a dis difference there, right? Like hustle to me is often this kind of aimless work that it's just done because it fills your time and it feels like you're getting somewhere. But the the struggle is the part that kind of motivates it. And I think it's more important to talk about the struggle and the right. the underlying unease of, of of being a founder than just the the kind of take action now do this do this do this maybe that's that's something we should talk about because it it sounds like in all of these different episodes of the founder hotline and all these other twitter spaces that you've been into and there've been plenty you uh, you have this very um, reasonable way of getting advice to people without it feeling like it's something that they have to do and I want to talk about advice in a, in a sense of how how can we even take advice? Because both of us are kind of in the advice-giving game, at least when yeah. you judge us from our very thoughtful tweets that we post all the time, right? Like we, we try to help people through the medium of text-based or audio-based advice. And often people will ask, well, how can you trust advice? Like, isn't that all just anecdote? Isn't that all just like in, intent to sell something else? What is your opinion on the the power and the dangers of advice? Yeah, no, that's a meaty topic. I mean, I think at the core of it, I, I keep asking myself a lot of these questions. Like I do so many like disparate, seemingly disconnected projects. Because when I was at On Deck, I was doing the no-code thing. I ran the fellowship. What was even a fellowship, right? So then I had to sell the meaning of fellowship, the purpose of fellowship to people. Then I joined. Um, then I did a lot of content projects. I did newsletters. And um, I did like my own no-code projects, about 15 of them. And each of them were very disparate. There's like not a lot of commonality in some of the projects that I did. Like a lot of people were much more focused than I am. Um, and I've just been, to me, the, the metric that matters to me is creating being able to create stuff. With the Building Public podcast, you know, 42, 43 episodes now, being able to create that, right? Being able to connect with people and playing to my strengths. <clears throat> so the overarching theme of all of this, along with Founder Hotline and Founder Advice and everything, I've just realized, Arvid, that <clears throat> at the core of my waking hours, I enjoy 
um, like guiding people. You know, the, <clears throat> the very like tangible example I can give is like in my past life, I was probably a tour guide in like Greece or some like India or some place like that. And <clears throat> I just enjoy, I just enjoy taking people from point A to point B. And <clears throat> especially if I've been around point B, you know, a couple of times on my own, then I really enjoy someone who's just stepped into point A and they're struggling at point A. And I walk to them and say, hey, I see that you're struggling. Is there something I can do? And then they usually will tell me they want to get to point B. Um, and I'm like, I've been there. I've just been there. I'm coming back. Or I know three people who have been there. Uh, I'd love to help you to get there, right? And whether they pay me or whether they want to compensate my work or my advice after they get to point B is almost, in the long scheme of things, irrelevant. The joy of taking them on this journey is exceeding my expectation and anticipation of reward. I don't care. My reward is my intrinsic joy that I get when I see someone who almost gave up um, as a founder, almost went back to their 95 job, almost went back um, you know, and, and thought maybe entrepreneurship is not for me. There's a sense of joy that I get when I see in their eye, when, when I see, like when I say something, use words somehow as magical spells like in Harry Potter and get them to do the thing that they were supposed to do and wanted to do. How powerful is that? I feel like a little wizard. If eight words that come from my mouth can inspire you to go do the thing, like what a freaking power it is um, in a good way, right? Yeah. Like it's, well, what a crazy yeah powerful, honorable place to be for me for that scenario. So now when they get to be, usually they want to somehow pay back or they want to compensate or whatever. That's fine. But for two, three years when I was early, early, earlier in my NOCO journey and like early in Twitter journey, I had like 400 followers and stuff. I, I was so um, hesitant to even ask for anything in return. And partly that was my own lack mindset, my own sort of, um, my own sort of, uh, insecure mindset that I had growing up around asking people for money or um, doing sales because I felt that that was so um, not for me and like so forbidden kind of thing. And now I'm embracing the abundance mindset saying, I'm not asking for something where there's no value exchange, you know? And so I've embraced more of a abundant mindset and said like, I'm offering them a chance to do X if they wish to, if they can afford to. If they can't, I will treat them just as well you know, uh, and I'll probably spend more time with the folks who offer, you know, who can uh, take the offer. So it's become weirdly empowering for me too to go through this journey. And so that's how I view advice, you know, and I think most advice, the challenge when you said like, when I jump on a space or when I jump on a podcast or an interview, a lot of these people who are trying to give advice um, are so desperate to prove to the world and to the audience that they're right. They're right, and they they will pitch the advice like they're pitching um, something pedantic. And I think my stance and my approach is very different. I'm offering them almost like a curious approach to here's how I'm seeing it. I'm curious to hear your take on this, and I'm willing to refine my mental model as you speak to me because maybe it's not a perfect mental model yet. So there's so much courage in saying and signaling that I don't know all the answers yet. However, here's what I know so far. Maybe that will help you enough. So the greatest um, Taekwondo masters, the greatest karate masters, the greatest Jedi you know, in the Star Wars units are the ones who are willing to lose a battle to learn something new. So there's a sense of humility that they have 
And that's way more magnetic in a world where everyone's walking around like, like know-it-alls. And that's why people resonate with me and with you and like the people who approach that, that philosophy. Yeah, you, you put connection at the center, right? You don't put the, the pure transfer of knowledge or the accomplishing of a certain particular goal. That's not the, the goal. The goal is to, to connect and facilitate, right? It's nice because in, in a way, that's a very selfish approach. Like obviously yes. because it's about the connection between you and them, but it's also super selfless because it, it empowers them to do it on their own because you're just guiding them there. It's, not, it's like the teacher meant to fish kind of parable, right? That's kind of what you do, but you're right there. You're teaching them. You're not just giving them a, a guidebook. Like I've been trying to learn how to fish because I don't really have many people who, who know it. It's quite literally about fishing now. Like, I don't have many people around me who, who know how to fish. I've been trying to learn it from books super hard super hard even youtube videos it's not the same it's it just it, it comes through experimentation you, you get there but it's just if somebody were to, to just hand me the rod the right configuration or to show me the moves like that would have been a, a 10 minute endeavor and i would know how to do it at least you know the basics but having tried to learn this from literature horrible horrible experience because there's nothing hands-on about this so the connection between the teacher and the student is such an important part. And I completely agree with you on the fact that like through teaching you learn, like that, this whole learn teach loop, which is to me a, a cyclical never ending thing. That is, I see this at the core of your work. I'm trying to put it at the core of mine as well. So I'll say something else that, uh, that's, that's a little interesting here. As you mentioned this, uh, the fishing analogy, you know what came to mind was, uh, is this like notion around, um, teaching through playbooks, uh, teaching through oral stuff, uh, sorry, teaching through some um, uh, documentation. Actually, if you really think about it from a, from a pure um, evolution perspective and just like um, history of mankind, most teaching, you know, teaching goes back all the way to the existence of humans, right? Like all the way back, even before there was Gumroad or Teachable or any of these platforms or books, for <laughs> really? instance, or, right. <laughs> It goes all the way back. It's, it's, I feel it's one of the original, um, you know, human endeavors is to teach your next generation something you've learned through the hard way. Um, there's something about it that's so deep in all of us. That there's, we want, even with our kids, like I have, I have 18-month-old Neil, which I, who I tweet about all the time. There's something so genetic and, and evolution-wise that I feel this need to pass some lessons to him there's a sense of wishing well for him and I don't want him to suffer as much as I suffered for whatever reasons. So what I'm trying to get to is this fact that fundamentally, if you go all the way back, teaching was done through sharing what I know and showing the work. For example, if you and I were like whittling statues and we're like we're 1567 AD, I would have to literally show you how to whittle the statue. There was no books because there, there was no... Uh, Gutenberg printing press that you couldn't you couldn't even find a textbook because there was no textbooks at the time, and there was no tape recorders or any of these things so you can listen to podcasts. So the only way you would get knowledge from my head to your head would be either asking me pointed specific questions like a curious beginner, and me being humble enough and curious enough to see uh, to share my lessons and update my models as I as I teach you. So the the relationship between a teacher and a student is so prehistoric. That I don't, I, I think, you know, this tech, the, that's why, like, people are always complaining about, oh, teachers will be outdated because there's Google. Oh, there's, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. These are all modern tools that came about to facilitate teaching and get faster. 
but there will always be scenarios where documentation, guides, docs, all these things can't help. You need that teacher to say the right words to you, particularly in the scenario that you need them to say for you to thrive. And I've had so many kind teachers, like a year ago, including you, who've helped me in this journey. And I'm always thinking about that. I'm like, I'm nothing without my teachers, you know? So I feel the same way. Like my, my whole entrepreneurial journey is built on the shoulders of giants in the yes. industry or like I, I, without the podcast, without the indie hackers podcast, without all yes. the blogs and the forums, the Twitter sphere, like where would I be? I wouldn't even know what the SaaS is at that point. Yeah. I wouldn't even know that you, you could create an, an ebook or make a course or whatever, like just with the tools you have at home. Like I would think, oh, Netflix production level, right? That, that kind of stuff, you, you only know what you know. And if people don't introduce it, and that's the thing, that's, that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing right now as well. And, and I think you could talk about this too, like what your in, intrinsic motivation is to, to be a, a teacher at this point but i feel like i have to give this back like these people were doing this while they were running businesses like five years ago they were going on podcasts they were recording things they were recording their own stuff they were writing like thousands of words a week just to you know like in, instruct people they didn't even know and i got the benefit from this for free too right and and now i that's kind of the motivation why I'm writing and why I'm recording and doing this too, like talking to, to experts like you. It's kind of, I, I just want an opportunity selfishly too, for myself to be able to share it with as many people as possible, right? It's, it's always, uh, it says your motivation too, like this, this never ending feeling of gratitude and kind of being responsible to, to share more. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a version of that, right? For sure. Like as I, as I, you know, as I embrace more and more success as I try new things and get more successful. And like so much of all of the last four, five, six, seven years of my career, Arvid, has been um, uh, really like other people's kindness and, you know, other people giving me a shot, right? When like Gary Vee showed up in my episode number four with the Building Public Podcast, like that's that's a shot. Nobody has to, nobody has, like no one who is at that level will show up on your episode number four. <laughs> you know, he did it. It was genuinely out of his own kindness. Um, there was no reason to. Same thing with Alexis Ohani and same thing with Eric Thornburg. Like everybody who I talked to, Rob Welling the other day, I was asking uh, something about, um, I forgot, like something about investing in small SaaS companies, indie SaaS companies. And like he chimed in in one of the threads. Like he didn't need to. I'm constantly shocked at like Tyler Tringas. So many people like Steph Smith, I'm constantly shocked at the openness in our industry, in tech industry. I mean, probably at other industries too. Especially there are the combination of people who know, who've tried a lot of ambitious things and people who are willing to give back. That blend of people are my favorite. They're just my favorite. I don't need, yeah, I don't need them to um, like, uh, you know, like compliment me or I don't need them to like, um, like, you know, praise me. I think their existence is a compliment in my view, because you were learning a lot just by following them. I, I think like all the people you just mentioned, I think they all understood how and why community works, like every single one of them, because they're all involved in community in some capacity. And all every single person in this list is somebody who's playing the long game, who's playing this infinite game 
of staying in the community right because like for, for tyler running the fund for rob running the fund for, and the conference for for steph with with the courses and, and the teaching and like for every single person in there there is value not just monetary but just like real felt perceived growth and and, and wealth and, and value in staying in this community and making it better all yes. of them benefit from this in, in, in some capacity. So they all know that a community can only grow stronger if you contribute to the community. Every single person, right? That's that's what makes a community strong and active is contribution by every single member. And I think that's why they're so open about it. And, and every single one of them I've talked to at some in some point, I was on, on Rob's uh, podcast. I am working with Tyler on something right now. So you know, there's all these little things that in this community happen because everybody contributes in yes. some way and i i think you, you do the same obviously you're part of the community just as much as they are and i think they benefit from your kindness just as much as you benefit from theirs which is such a cool thing right that that's also something that is for me very noticeable it's not unique to our community but it's extremely strongly expressed and very clear in the indie founder um indie hacker like creator and maker community stronger than in many other communities probably because we need it like we don't have much support outside of our little community right <laughs> i think the the funny thing about entrepreneurship is like i feel like we, we if you take any other field like medicine like you could be a heart surgeon uh, you could be a cardiologist and like you know there's a level of um, certainty you can have about the outcome like you know if you've done 18 bypass surgeries in the last month you know the 19th one is pretty much certain. Like you actually, a lot of patients expect that certainty. Um, but in business, the <laughs> challenge is there's, there's no such certainty with the market and the customers. Cause that's why I feel like a lot of um, the greats and a lot of um, people that, you know, I look up to or the, a lot of, a lot of times what I, what I tend to do is like, you know, you just really have to be okay with being humbled by the market's decision. You know, and being flexible, extremely agile to react and be flexible enough to adapt to what they're looking and asking for. And you cannot ever, like, there's no, the, 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 there's no sense of, um, uh, like, um, st not stability, but, like, no sense of, like, taking it for granted. So when you don't take it for granted, you know, anything's about life. Like, if you don't take your child for granted, if you don't take your dog for granted, if you don't take your hus uh, spouse for granted they're much more likely to appreciate you because they feel heard, they feel special, they feel seen, and they're like, wow, you know, this is actually cool. And a lot of my following, a lot of your following, they're surprised when they're like, wow, KP remembers my last name. KP, remember? I'm like, what do you think? Of course, of course I remember. Yeah, like, why else would I follow you, right? Like, right, yeah. why would, so, and so they're like, wow. You know, and, and I think maybe their, their expectation coming from maybe other industries is that, oh, you can just be an expert, um, and like almost like building stealth or like kind of like live under the rock and win, you know, maybe yes, if you're a writer like Stephen King, like some old school stuff, but in our generation, in our current zeitgeist, like it's very, very hard to win solo because most entrepreneurship is not like golf. You know, it is very much like a team sport, you know? Um, so I think a lot of these people are just, uh, you know, uh, just grateful to this community and they're trying their best to give back, including me, you know? Yeah, we have pretty flat hierarchies too. 
right? It's just yeah, like every everybody, it, it, there isn't really much of a difference between somebody who's just like started their business and somebody who just successfully sold theirs. Like this could happen within a couple weeks, a couple months, or it could never happen. You never know. So it might just as well have a pretty pretty flat hierarchy here because everything is kind of up in the air. I, I love your your kind of um, the the comparison with. Um, a doctor performing the same thing over and over, there's really no repetition in entrepreneurship. Like even if you do something well. Exactly. So right? even hypothetically, if you started the next ad tech, SaaS, Arvid, like there's no guarantee that it's going to, you know, succeed at the first run. You know, like you may have to pivot a lot. You may have to like, you know, do a lot of changes, but there's no guarantees in business. Yeah, and that's kind of why so many serial founders are kind of constantly looking for problems while they solve another problem. Right? My 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 own example, I guess, would be like when I wrote the book, I figured out I needed links and then I built permanent link. And in building permanent link, I figured out, hmm, I need to do this kind of thing. And then I might be working on the next thing just from being exposed to new problems along the way. Or Rob Fitzpatrick, like he wrote a book, The Mom Test, pretty famous in our little community. And in writing the book, he, he was trying to figure out beta reading and then in his next project, he is now offering tool for writers who want beta reading in in their communities, right? He's just figuring out one problem at a time and in figuring that out, new problems arise. And I think that's the safer way of building a business compared to I run one business of this kind and now I shall repeat the exact same thing again, right? It's not the same. Like you haven't found the same level of intense problem. You might just think that you're good at solving this particular kind of problem in this industry, but maybe there's a whole different problem that you understand much better that you figured out along the way. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show. MicroAcquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily. MicroAcquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning, and I'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed. Starting in 2023, they're rebranding to acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired. Their mission is the same, to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, hey, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join Acquire.com. I think serial entrepreneurship is um, severely misunderstood in, in many ways. Because if you hire a CEO for your company, you probably like a, a big enterprise company. You probably want them to have been a CEO in enterprise companies before, but in entrepreneurship in coming up with a business that may or may not succeed at all, this has no quality, right? Like having run this before doesn't mean anything at all. Doesn't mean anything. You may have just some social capital. You may have some network, but like it won't like I've been, the other thing that I've seen, you know, um, the last four years is that I've seen some of the greats, you know, get humbled very quick by the market. And so it, it also made me, to be honest, like, you know, ever since we first connected, I remember our, our first ever touch point was, uh, I think an interview I did of you and uh, Danielle of, um, you know, like, I think you were coming fresh off of the exit and, um, I can't remember. It was which some newsletter that I had at the time. It was definitely not my current one. Some other newsletter I had, I think I did a long form interview. Um, and I think that was the first time I, I, at the time I was, you know, I was, 
I always had ambition, you know, as a kid, I always thought I was a, like, a, you know, I had a little bit of ambition. But the other experience that I want to share with some of the listeners here is that your ambition is not fixed. It can grow. And that's why it's important to associate yourself with other people whose ambition can rub off on you. So when I read your story and I read the way it was, it grew, the way, you know, you did the exit and the way, you know, it was life-changing, meaningful outcome, <clears throat> there was two things I felt. One was, wow, I can't believe this is a thing. I can't believe you can actually exit a SaaS. At the time, like, I didn't even know the words exit and SaaS. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and of course, now it's a joke because now both of us, we are constantly looking at microacquired tweets and replying. And like, we, exit's like a middle name. Like, it's like very, very common in my day-to-day -day now. <laughs> but for them, for that part of that KP who was like working nine to five at Delta Airlines and surrounded by other IT employees, like that kid, like that, that KP had no clue what exit meant. I thought it was like a exit door, like leaving the building, right? Anyway, um, and so I, from that, I've realized that, oh, there, this is a possibility. Wow. And then, but then I realized um, the other thing I took from that interview of you was how the, the, the way you narrated the thing and, you know, the way you write generally too is that you make it approachable, you make it relatable, um, and you make it seem like that's the part of empowering. It's like somebody else could do this too. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't intentionally make that choice, or maybe you do that unintentionally. And I think I do that unintentionally too, is that I try to separate myself from, uh, like I try to say that I have done some extraordinary things, but I'm an ordinary person. That is far more empowering than saying I'm a genius, I was gifted, I'm talented, and <laughs> yeah. hence, you're yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. know? Unfortunately, we're seeing some yeah. of that, you know, on Twitter, thanks to Elon Musk and stuff. I feel like that that attitude is so disheartening at the receiving end. Because if you just came off in that interview uh, as a know-it-all or someone who was just meant and born for greatness, and like you just knew this all, you know, I would have been like closing that window and like being like, okay, well, not for me. Clearly, this guy is born with some crazy IQ or whatever. But it seemed so empowering that I had this inclination and a curiosity to explore this and say, maybe I could be a bootstrap founder too one day. You know, so I updated my ambition level just by 10 points. And then by 10 points. And then by 10. So in the last four or five years now, I'm like, wow, it's so different compared to what I was five, four years ago. And so many things that were impossible at the time for me now are day to day. Like I have friends who are doing this day to day, like, you know, under Gastecki, like people like who are building billion dollar unicorns and they're just like you and me. And I'm like, that is actually wild. And when you write about this stuff, when you post about this content, when you tweet about it, I try my best to make it seem like this is doable for you too, uh, for the audience. Yeah. I, and that is noticeable because it's approachable. It's relatable. It's kind of the, that's that the whole thing. Why I, I talked about the founder hotline in the beginning is like people need help. <laughs> you want to be the person helping them. Of course that resonates, right? Because it, it connects two things that want to be connected. I, I love your description of um, how you kind of, 
this this iteration that you have and and just constantly increasing your ambition because that shows one thing like the person you were a month ago a year ago five years ten years ago is is the same person as you are it's just at a different level having experienced different things and I think that's so important to understand when it comes to communicating with people because I hear I see so many founders out there who would like to build in public who would like to just share what they know and teach other people but they think I have nothing to teach because everybody knows this kind of stuff and when i think about this this kind of stair stepping right this iterative approach to learning and to knowing new things just climb down one stair and teach for those people teach for the people who didn't learn the thing that you learned this week just yet and teach that one thing that's what we do constantly that's why i write the way i write i write for myself five years ago i don't write for anybody else just for who would what would i like to read without the knowledge that i have about the knowledge that i have Right, right. right now and you do it too you you have also this way of communicating and and i think that may be unintentional or subconscious but in having understood i think the, uh, having this fun foundational framework of okay it's an iteration anyway you'll never be done that also means like you, you you're never the same person really as you were before but you can always teach the people just a couple weeks behind you and you've been doing that f- fantastically o- over a long time in many different cohorts like with the whole no code situation and you know, with day one can you talk to me a little bit about like how you do this in a more concerted effort yeah yeah thank you i mean i think um i've been approaching you know each project with a sense of curiosity of how can i make this helpful for others and in the beginning i used to be insecure that i couldn't just simply say it's meant for x niche and not for others and the insecurity just wanted to say, oh, it's for everybody. Because it's always easy to say that. Um, because when you say it's for everybody, um, you can just hide under the, you know, under the, the curtain of like, oh, it's meant for everybody. But really, both of us know that the most niche and tight you, know, you are with your communication about who it is meant for, what value they will they find, how is it better than the alternatives? The better for you, because then you're facing the ultimate choice of, you know, whether they are in or out. So, the last two three years since since I first you know interfaced with you, Arvid, I feel like I have have had maybe five hundred six hundred rejections. And what you've what my short audience have seen are maybe like the five or six highlight reels we talked about. Like you said. Um, <laughs> I've had a, a fair share of like the shoot my shot things where I did for my podcast, where I would shoot my shot about, you know, Gary Vee showed up like that. Alexis Ohanian said yes. But I've had a fair share of people who didn't say yes. And I left the tweets like just like that. And those tweets are also, if you notice, my intent is the same. My ask is the same. My um, value prop is the same. It's just that they said no. And, and early on, this used to crush me, debilitate me. It would never make me come back and like do anything after this because I'm like, oh my God, they don't like me. Oh my... Now I've learned, I mean, not now, but like in the journey, I've learned that they don't owe me nothing. Nobody owes you shit. It's actually an act of kindness, which is one step above decency that is coming in doing something favorable for you. So if they don't do it, that's, that's a-okay. Like it's no imperative. And maybe, maybe they're busy. Maybe they have other 15,000 things to do on that. So removing myself and my ego from the equation and just viewing those individual um, asks as just asks. Um, and sometimes being objective and refining the asks, wondering 
did I miss something in the ask? Like, is this the ask all about me, 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 me? Is there a win-win? So if if you're not able to detach yourself from your ask slash sales email slash whatever you want to put it in there, you will never be able to refine it and iterate on it. So once you do this, you get to a, a refined pitch or a refined ask of some sort, and then you just re- reuse this over and over and over again. And so when I started on deck, the 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 first ever fellowship that I did there was the on deck no code, and we had. Um, I remember the first cohort was 130 people and I went on 350 phone call, 350 Zoom calls with them. And it was literally sales because I was trying to go on a call with them, understand their needs and see if this is a good fit or not. But one takeaway for me there was, it's one number one, sales is all about volume, especially those kind of sales. It's not a SaaS product. It's very clearly an education program. So it's all about volume. Uh, if you If you want X leads, you have to do X calls. The second thing is, subconsciously, I went on those calls not to sell them. And this is another lesson that I learned, which I'm using every day now. I went on those calls to really understand where they are in their journey and myself in my head figure out if this is even a good fit for them or not. And there were times where I would tell them, you're not ready for this yet, or this might be not the best use of your money yet. There were some folks from Nigeria that would join, that joined, uh, I remember one specific phone call uh, there was a guy who's uh, in some part of Nigeria joined. It was like late in the night for him. He got on the call, and this was supposed to be one of the ODNC interviews with him. And he was so excited. He wrote an essay in my like um, sign up form. He wrote like a, he was very clearly you know wanted to be a part of it. Um, but he joined, and then there were like it looked like a little bit of a hut in the background, and then there was not. There was not any lights except there was a little candle in front of his. And somehow he has the electricity to run this uh, the audio meeting because the video was also no bandwidth. And he said he's using it through his phone data plan. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way this person can afford the you know price tag that we have. But I wanted to do on that call and first assure him that he belongs to. He belongs to. That's another very important thing because a lot of people count themselves out because they feel like I'm not even, I don't belong there yet. And here, here I am representing a Silicon Valley hotshot startup and telling him you're on the right path too. You know, you're no less than someone who is in freaking, you know, Atlanta like me or some, someone who is in like somewhere else. And I told him, I appreciate your hustle. Like this is some next level shit. I've never seen anyone with like a candle. Like it's almost looking like you don't have electricity and you're using all the power just to run this meeting, right? And I, I gave him a scholarship and I batted my ass off at, at, at the company to get these scholarships going because it was like I had a little um, uh, 10% or whatever um, hand in how many scholarships came out, like ten, basically 10% of the cohort were scholarships that I could choose. And I made sure that he got in. And, but uh, off tangent there, but the 300 calls, I, all the calls I was there, I was trying to just learn what they're up to, point A, and ask them if they wanted point B. What is their aspiration to get to point B? And I would mentally think if the program would be a good use of their time and money to get from point A to point B. If the answer is no, you're not ready yet, and I'll be honest and blunt, that cost me some quote-unquote revenue. But most of them came back in second and third and fourth quarters, and then, then they did the program anyway if they wanted to. So I operated from trust, and I, of course, I well, winged it. I didn't have any lessons about that. I didn't take any sales course. I just put myself in their shoes, Arvid, just like how you were saying earlier. What would I want to hear? from this guy who's calling me from this company called OnDeck, I would want 
absolute honesty and I would want trust and I would want them to tell me if this is good for it or not, like honestly. And in, in our current world, that is very missing. I was shocked. I've been shocked about that. And if you just execute that playbook, you may lose some sales, but in the long run, you're going to be a category winner in whatever you do, in whatever SaaS you are in, because there's that trust is so high. Um, and so I think those 300 calls taught me so much about how sales works. And I think I lost my fear of, of um, rejection. And from there on, you know, with day one, it's been even more fun. I just leveled up and I thought, okay, in this case, we're not just serving no-code founders. We're serving bootstrapped, no-code, um, DDC, a lot of e-commerce founders. And I, I, I just showed up on these calls and I would just uh, ask about their business and see if it's a good fit or not. Same playbook, really, you know. Um, and I'm doing this for everything, including my content now, my newsletter sponsorships. Everything that I'm doing now it has a version of, is this a good fit for you or not? Do you think this can work outside of communities like ours Cause we, or feels like ours where community is such a strong thing? Because honestly, you, all you're saying is like very trust-centric, right? The trust that you know what's good for them, that they understand that if, if it's not good for them, they can trust you to not sell it to them. All of this is very much trust-based. And I'm thinking of our communities where there's a lot of beacons of trust, like you, people who facilitate trust in the community and then there are industries that are like don't even know a word that describes it adequately but shady is probably a good way of describing it where <laughs> right. you know they're just just following the the most recent like crypto world developments and you see lots of industries crypto is just one of them where some people men many people are not really trustworthy and uh, you know, the, the community itself is kind of skeptical. If everybody like, is, does it work? In you, know what, you know what's going on there, though. I think I was. It was such a sad thing to watch because there was a step function upgrade in technology evolution within that industry. I agree, and I'm sure you agree as a technologist that there was a step function upgrade. You know, in 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 technology, purely from an infrastructure technology perspective. However, every use case, most of the use cases seem like scam. Because the people around around that step function upgrade of the technology are trying to get their bag in next quarter. And I think this is something I've learned. Um, and, you know, everybody that I respect, um, their advice somehow boils down to the same thing, um, Arvid. Play the decades game, not, de not days game. Like, why are you so, so in a rush to make so much money in the next quarter, next day, next three days, when really... You build, like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger built their brand over five, six, seven decades. There's no overnight success story, you know, and no overnight shortcut that can get you to the top of the mountain. Even if somebody sells you on that, that's mostly bogus or also it, you're not going to enjoy your transformation. If suddenly I could wave a magic wand and turn my kid who's 18 months into 18 year old, am I doing a service to him just by turning him like that 18 years old or am I doing a disservice? I think I'm doing a disservice. If you're accelerating transformation, if you're accelerating growth by hacking it, I think you're doing a disservice to your own confidence, to your own understanding and perspective of life, wisdom, so many other things. So I think the challenge with that industry, and there's a couple other industries like that, is that there's a lot of actors who, who've, surf, uh, who've surfaced out of nowhere and they've surrounded this core technology with these bullshit use cases and, and, and they're trying to very quickly scheme everything. 
And the biggest thing that they're, the challenge, the most frustrating thing to me is that they've taken a word that I respect so much, um, and I know you respect it so much, called community, and then they watered it down in that industry. And I'm like, oh my God, right? It's it's like, oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the whole like Discord's NFT communities that are just like bloated MLM systems, unfortunately, right? Because there's always this art component or sometimes there sometimes there's actual art beneath these kind of projects. And then all of a sudden you see the greed seeping into these groups of people communities it's bizarre i want to i want to pick up on something you just said like about the whole long-term thinking infinite uh thinking and think it decades kind of approach that you mentioned i very much agree with this and i actually asked on twitter or said something along those lines like play the infinite game if you want to see eventual success again one of my very thinky tweets that i said that earlier this week but i got a reply from somebody and i found that very interesting and they said i'm scared that my industry is gonna just evaporate and I'm, I'm left with nothing. And that, that, that did get me thinking because that is a very primal fear, right? The thing I'm doing is going to be gone. It's like if you were raising horses and then car factories appear, like how, how people who are building carriages must have felt when cars came out. It's like, I devoted my whole life to building the finest carriages in the land. And now nobody shall buy them anymore from me. It's like very sad, but it's also just a normal progression of things and i was i was thinking this person is afraid of change what would be the advice that you would give this this person that is afraid of losing their market and everything i mean i think you know um to an extent that fear has validity so i think we should start by acknowledging that we all feel that way sometimes and it's okay to feel that way sometimes I was terrified the last 10, 15 days, I'll be honest and admit here, that Elon Musk and whatever the heck he's doing with Twitter would wipe out my 35,000, 36,000 friends and people yeah. that I've really not like, admired, right? And and I'm not, again, I'm not against him. Like, I don't hate him. Like, hate like it was a waste of my time and everyone's time. But I think he's running about this in a very sort of half-hazardly and like a foolish way and, you know, whatever. And And... So for a while, I wonder, like, man, like, what? How close are we to bank? I'm, I'm no less shocked. I mean, like, if you saw like what happened to SBF and the whole FDX thing, like, there's a if if the person who's at the top doesn't have a board, doesn't trust anybody else to give advice, doesn't take critical, constructive feedback, you're really at the mercy of that person waking up and feeling benevolent towards you. Literally, that that's it. Like if Elon Musk woke up one day and doesn't feel benevolent towards us, he can wipe out the platform or like fire eighty percent or like you know like create a lot. I still don't get like I'm sure you know this. Like since the last week, my notification count uh, has sort of um, evaporated. There's a bug going on right now on the app, iOS app, where you just see the red icon. Like, I'm, uh, do you feel this too, or is it just me? I, yeah, I don't no, get notification I, I numbers. That there, the backend service. A backend service that has been deploying these these notifications that has been not working for a couple of days now, right? So so it's not ungodly or un, unimaginable to think that there whoever um, are following me or have been following those accounts or those names and accounts would be mismatched or mishandled or whatever. There could be any version of production bugs. So what I'm trying to say is that that, that primal fear is real. Um, however, I, I'm of the firm belief that the locus of control of your destiny lies within you. 
so you get to decide the next step at every you know chapter of your life so sure something like this happened it, that sucks your industries evaporated whatever um what are you going to do about it do you feel like you have the locus of control or do you feel like some external agent whether it's the government whether it's an industry whether it's Elon Musk or some you know ceo or whatever has it you know the more you think that you have the locus of control within your uh hands the better um decisions you're going to take that will like lay the path for you to never fall into the trap ever again right that's why i think bootstrap being a bootstrap founder being a founder being someone who is a self-funded or even like founder who who was running his own or her own business um with with their own knowledge and insights i think is so smart because i was fired from delta in march 2020 because of pandemic it happened the whole department was fired uh because the stock fell by 30% and they clearly couldn't see a way for uh, you know the stock to rise back up quickly so they let us go i came home and i started my biggest no code project of that of that year called kappa because i was like all right I, it looks like i have 15 days of uh, free time here let me let me let me do something fun and then again um i had to be at the receiving end of an unfortunate news at on deck where you know there were some restructuring that happened and i was the highest ranked nps employee in the company and i was i was i was given the word about okay you know we we can't afford you long enough we have to think about the future i mean they didn't fire fire me like but it was something on the same result so then i have to start over again so every two years my wife and i we would joke about this like she's been a stable job as a school teacher for 11 years and i think i've changed jobs like <laughs> eight times in the last four years yeah what do you do about right. it you know what what um, do you do bizarre. like i think the yeah. point is this never that's why i think in business and entrepreneurship are with you have to make friendship with risk and that's uncertainty you nobody i know is immune to that nobody i know a16z like anybody like hotel allen anyone you take has accepted the reality it's a little nihilistic to think that but i think it's it's practical that hey tomorrow you wake up and the market decides they don't want your product anymore that could happen what are you going to do about it i hope that you have some other avenue of intrinsic joy where you can play an infinite game and there are enough people who are happy to learn from you and then some portion of that comes back as revenue you know and both of us know that once the learning that skill is the meta game it's not the skill it's learning learning the ability to learn the the, the mechanics of what we just learned is the real skill it's not fishing it's the fact that arvid arvid call can channel his innate curiosity about a topic in this case fishing and go to whatever lens it can go he can go to learn all that there is through asking people to reading online and then to applying immediately very quickly iterating on the fly and within 5 years he's the best fisherman in canada <laughs> right so it's like that is the real game <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that the, the real game. Right? That's what that is. That's that's a real game. No, I, like I, I think that, that that's yeah, the, yes, yes. No, yeah. that's please go on. No, I was going to say like I I mean I that's what I my last 5 years have revealed to me is that I'm not the no code guy, I'm not, not the building public guy, I'm not the Twitter guy, I'm not the podcast guy. I am the KP guy. And the KP guy has this mindset where he's constantly learning things and challenging himself to push and facing rejection and leveling up and leveling up and leveling up and trying to, at every turn i'm trying my best to 
make it about others in some way. Like, how can I give value to others? You know, how can we help somebody else? You know, maybe directly, maybe indirectly. Um, and I think that's that's the infinite game, as is, you know. Yep. And that's the stuff you take with you, right? That the, I was thinking when I was looking at that message that that person sent me, it was like, yeah, that's right. And then it, the industry breaks away, and then you're left with nothing, but you're still you. Like, you lost only the things outside of yourself, right? The business may not work. You may have financial hardship, but the learnings that led you to even have like re remote levels of success in that industry, they're all within you. Now go forth and apply them somewhere else, right? Your capacity to, to solve problems, that's still with you. Otherwise you wouldn't be an entrepreneur. I think that that is exactly what it is. Your capacity to learn, your capacity to solve problems beyond the one you're currently solving. That's And, that, and within your case, your personal brand, being that person, showing that to others and being available for them to to learn from you and to be guided by you to whatever ends they may have that will never leave you no matter which platform you may fall off from and we, we should maybe talk about platform dependency here right because obviously the, the big elephant in the room is where's twitter going but you know talk about that i want to talk about that and i want to give you a massive shout out because you were one of the few people probably you were the only person but maybe like one of the few who've gotten me um, serious about writing my newsletter. And I've, I think I've, I remember asking you in my podcast um, when you showed up maybe a year ago because I was so fascinated about all these people who would write newsletters every week, Arvid. I'm like, how the heck are you guys doing this? What is your writing regimen? I, 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 I think, again, going back to my earlier theory of the things that you're not doing daily on a weekly basis, the thing that you don't um, interface with weekly, you somehow have a fantastic, Fantasy, fantasy view of them, you know, um, not, not not in a negative way, but I just think that you 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 think that there's some magical thing that they're doing. They're not doing nothing, and I've learned. So I've started my Substack again, um, maybe two weeks, two months ago, and I've written ten back-to-back -back weekly editions in ten weeks consecutively. And you know what my magic hack is? Nothing. <laughs> Literally writing. And literally lowering my expectations. <laughs> my magic hack like, is lowering my expectations that any one of them will be viral or any one of them will take off or any one of them will be something that I will be like remembered for. And I just thought I'm going to spend 25 minutes on a certain day and I'm going to write the outline and then 25 minutes the next day and finish the outline, 25 minutes in the third day and review and rewrite and whatever and finish and publish it. That's all I did. And I, the moment I did this, I did this for 10 weeks and the newsletter is growing. There's about 7,000 people, kp.substack.com. But th then the Elon Musk thing happened. Twitter thing is happening. And I was like, I got to say thank you to Arvid for getting me on this because this is clearly diversifying your platform dependency. Yep. 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 And it, it happens because you just are consistently working on it, Right. It wouldn't happen if you, if you didn't do that. That there's a there's a saying like I'm part of a couple of writer communities and there's butt in seats, hand on keyboard. That's how you're a writer. Yes, it. Butt in seats and hand, write, Yeah, right. That's that's how you that's how you consistently churn out your pages. That's that's how you get anywhere. And and you know and I think the um, limiting belief that I want some of the people who are probably walking around or listening to this thing and thinking, yeah, I could never like write or I could never sing. I could never, I actually genuinely, I admittedly, I told Arvid in my podcast and you guys go back and listen to the archives. I hate long form writing. Actually, I haven't changed my stance on it. I still 
hate long form writing. I hate it. I just hate it. Yep. So what I've done is I've turned my long form writing into three short form writing pieces. That's it. So hence I can tolerate it. But something about um, there will be a time for anyone who's listening where something about your day to day, your week to week calls you on a certain adventure or a certain pursuit of like, I got to do this this month. I got to get on this. I know I've been saying this for, I've said that I wanted to start a podcast for two years and then I finally started one in 2021. But there must be some version of that in your head for the listeners. And you are wondering and you're curious and you're asking the experts some curious questions. My best advice I have for you, and I know Arvid will agree here or I'm curious what your spin is. When you, if you're thinking about it, if you're wondering about it, just start it. Just start it. Literally just start it and humble yourself and have very low expectations of it. And just, it's all about iterations from there. All about iterations from there. Nobody is a god. Nobody wakes up with a newsletter. Nobody is born with a newsletter. You start a newsletter. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, write, write the world's worst newsletter or second world's worst newsletter. That's maybe all you need to do. Or record your podcast into your potato. It does not matter, right? As long as there's any trace of what you had to share. Because really, that's that like most podcasts, like if you listen to the first episode of this podcast, oh boy, <laughs> are you in for a treat? Because I used the <laughs> shittiest microphone I could find. I had like the, the most echo going on and, and production quality is really bad. However, people still listen to it because it starts to, the podcast and, and then they listen to the last one and they notice, oh yeah, there is a noticeable improvement in quality. This person must have understood how to learn to get better at stuff. I want to get better at stuff. I'm going to keep listening that alone is valuable like having having a shitty first issue having a shitty first episode and then having something better later that alone is a signal that you can send to the people that are interested in what you have to say it right? is a service to to the community like the fact that you are willing you're willing to ship that thing right because that's why it's important to ship it despite of its imperfections yeah absolutely that's like getting it out the door and seeing where it goes. Like, I think that's how most of us actually get anywhere. Yeah. Like the, I started the, the blog really just writing about anything, just seeing which resonated, which like topics resonated. And then I just wrote more about that and, and turned into books. It turned into this, right? It turned into essentially a media company that I'm now running yeah. coming from a SaaS background, right? It, it never intended that to happen, but it did because I just followed the trail of, whatever was jumping in front of me. And that was the interest of the community that I was serving. So talking about communities that we are serving, people from our community, where can they find you and where can you serve them? And how will you serve them? Oh, that's a, that's a question. I, I feel like I, I do maybe a portfolio of things, a buffet of um, sort of services and offerings and a lot of them free, a lot of them, um, there's a few that are paid, but um, you folks can find me at uh, on, a, on my website is thisiskp.com and my Twitter account is at thisiskp underscore underscore is important because I couldn't get the get it out get the real one <laughs> um, and uh, and I have I mean I, I if you go to thisiskp you'll see like I have a series of things I have free resources for founders I've been collect, collecting and curating a lot of uh, no code resources uh, building public you know resources. Um, check it out. And the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of recently 
and the one that I touched on earlier with, with Arvid is, is uh, my newsletter. Uh, it's called KP's Column, and the um, address is kp.substack.com. I've been loving it. It's been 10 weeks. Now this week will be 11th week. It is just so much joy. There's so much intrinsic joy in putting your butt on a seat and turning your ideas and sort of vague ideas into like a distilled post, you know, and, and hitting publish and seeing other people react to it. That's my joy. That's the, I mean, I know this is probably how you felt for years because you've been writing for years and the subscriber counts and all these other things are bells and whistles. They're good. I mean, I get some dopamine from them, but genuinely I've forgotten about them. I'm more worried about, okay, what am I writing this week? What can I distill this week? So, yeah, yeah, I very much relate to that. Like I, whenever I write, I feel like I, I just hope any person, any one person out there reads this and gets something out of it. Then my mission is accomplished, right? It doesn't matter if it's thousands of them or, or the hundreds or just one. As long as there's something meaningful coming from this that may instruct somebody just a little bit, maybe just give them a thought from which then springs something else. It's all I want to do. And that makes writing fascinating because you know how easy it is to convey a novel thought in a, in a sentence. It may take you a while to, to get it, you know, get the write it right and stuff. But once you have it, and once you've published it, it's out there forever. It's out yes. there for, for anyone to see, particularly if you have your own homepage and your own blog and stuff. That, that It's just going to be there for people to find and learn at their own pace. And I'm glad you're doing this. I'm also glad, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this on social media too, where it's more ephemeral, but it's very present for people. And I would highly recommend following KP on Twitter and all the other fancy platforms that we will be on in, in the future. Because who knows, right, how Fediverse we're going to be. Uh, over I the know. next couple months. Thank you so much for being on today. That was a wonderful and extremely deep and kind and just warm-hearted conversation. I'm so Thank grateful you. for you. Thank you, Thanks. Arvid. It means a lot. Honored to be here. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. you find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Get the podcast in the podcast player of your choice and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will help the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.